Pastor Xavier Reese talks about the simple truths of real faith. Works are the outcome of salvation, not the process for salvation, as we saw in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, we're saved by grace through faith. Once before the Lord, we don't use works to be saved, but once we're saved, then there has to be some works that relate to Christ, right? Paul declared that we're to present our body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is a reasonable service. Okay, if you're not in the Word of God, you're going to blend with the world. The Word is what's going to set you apart. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. There's no question we live in one of the most prosperous nations in the world. But could our very blessing be our greatest curse? Today, as we return to the simple truths of the book of Revelation, Pastor Xavier takes us to the city of Pergamum, and it's here we learn what happens when we let the world get in the way of our relationship with the Lord. Let's listen. Worldliness has nothing to do with the money you have or the material possessions you have or even that you work at a secular job. But it's a condition of a heart being attracted to be one with the falling world system by one who calls himself a Christian. Jesus said several important things, as you know, about discipleship. He says that we are the salt of the earth in Matthew 5.31. Salt is supposed to cause people to thirst. We're the light of the world in Matthew 5, 14. And uh, light dispels darkness in that we are to have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them in Ephesians 5, 11. That doesn't mean that we think we're better. That doesn't mean that we're self-righteous. It means that we know that there's been a difference and a change in our life compared to what we used to walk in the world and now in Christ Jesus. And our hearts should go out to those who are lost because we know we've been lost. And therefore, our motivation is not self-righteousness, but compassion that they might come to Christ. These messages, as we have stated, apply to all today, not merely to the churches in John's day. Uh, And the messages of these seven churches um, uh, represent um, uh, four things as we repeated and will do so to the end. Uh, a local church in John's day, every one of these, uh, a period of history which we give to you to occupy the prophetic period of history, and a type of congregation that can exist throughout the church age, uh, from its birth to the time the Lord comes back, but also a type of Christian in their own personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So we each can take an exam to see what kind of church are we, what kind of Christian are we as we move through these churches. And of course, you also have the pattern of the seven churches that is found consistently, except for two, they don't have no condemnation, Smyrna and Philadelphia. But the rest fall in the category of proclamation, commendation, condemnation, exhortation, and application. And this is well known through out uh, the pulpits of America, they read any sort of uh, historical writings and all. This is just a common uh, um, five points that are put through, and they match up really good for us. Now, again, all the letters are written within a historical background, the real reality of their day, uh, what was going on, what they were, so that this way the words that Jesus addressed to each church is very specific and is very relevant to the place they're at in relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. All of this is in relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ, Okay. 
has nothing else to do, but the church belongs to him. They're his people. So let's begin with some historical information about Pergamos. The city of Pergamos, first of all, was uh, the greatest city in Asia and the capital for 400 years, and her name means exalted or elevated. So right off the bat, exalted, elevated. When we think of that as Christians, we feel we sense pride, we sense self-sufficiency and all of that. And as we look to the church, certainly this is part of it. Now, in the year 282 B.C., it was the capital of the Seleucid kingdom that had come about by the four generals of Alexander, if you remember. He broke up his kingdom. And um, God used history literal things, and he identifies with, with the areas of history. Uh, later in 133 B.C., the third king of Pergamos, willed his kingdom to Rome, as you know, at his death, and it remained the capital till the close of the first century. So it's a very important city, and the city was um, located about 10 to 15 miles from the Aegean Sea. Aegean Sea is real beautiful. Uh, 60 miles north of Smyrna and 75 miles north of Ephesus, modern-day Pergamon. But um, that whole area uh, was very common to the church because that's where the gospel had been spread. Now, the city was built on a 1,000-foot high hill around the great Acropolis in the valley, valley of the river um, Caicos, viewing the Mediterranean from a long distance. The city had a library of 200,000 parchment rolls, a quite sizable library, second to the size unique of the Library of Alexandria, which later Mark Anthony gave to Cleopatra. It was famous for its parchments in spite of it being a commercial city. In many centuries they had used papyrus in Egypt, and as you know, they grew on the Nile, and, and it was used for writing material, and you would get the little leaves, and you intertwine them, like weave them together, you get a mallet, a hammer, and you... And you hammer them together and it makes a parchment, but the only thing with parchment is it becomes real brittle. So it's very hard to preserve. In the third century, King Iumenes II of Pergamos wanted to make a library of Pergamos supreme. So he persuaded Aristophanes of uh, Byzantinium, uh, the librarian of Alexander, to come to Pergamos. And the king of Egypt, Ptolemy, being enraged, imprisoned Aristophanes and um, placed an embargo on the exports of papyrus and Pergamos. So once again, the political agendas, the powers that be, they, uh, they, they punish, they, 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 they pressure, they do whatever. Nothing new. The embargo forced the king of Pergamos to develop vellum or parchment material from animal skins to substitute papyrus. So the very embargo pressured him to develop, and animal skins receive a dye much more, and they preserve much longer. So again, you have the developmental progression of uh, writing material. The word parchment is derived from the name Pergamum. Pergamum is a neuter of Pergamos, the feminine. So the message of the church is rightly called Pergamos in the feminine because the church is the bride of Christ. Now, the Church of Pergamos, as we're going to see his address, and the Church of Pergamos, like Smyrna, is believed to have started from Paul's missionary journey at Ephesus. We're not sure completely, but certainly there's a good possibility. It occupies a period of 313 to 600 A.D., so about 300 years, a long period of time. And during this time, after the death of Diocletian and Galerius, Constantine Maximus, or, or Maxentius, 
contended for the throne. Constantine was supposed to have seen a, a vision in the sky of a cross in heaven and a voice saying, take and conquer, uh, being told that it was a sign of the Christian religion. He thought God was calling him to be the conqueror and the leader of the Christian religion and Christians and of Christ. How convenient. Uh, very subjective, right? Self-appointed. And he called the bishops and explained their, to explain their faith, and he accepted it and appointed himself promoter and protector of Christianity. And here's where you have the biggest problem beginning, because he's going to marry the church to the world and make it a state religion and kill it. He makes it a religion. Constantine stopped persecution and bestowed favor and honors on the bishops, so they sat on thrones with the noble empire of Rome now. Many of them gave up the truth of the second coming and began to profess that they had been wrong and that Constantine's empire was the kingdom of Christ. How interesting. Whenever a person loses sight of the Lord's second coming, and in particular, a church, you will have a compromising world attitude. Then there's the religion of Pergamos. The city was known for its many religions that held the title of the temple keepers of Asia for their devotion to once again emperor worship. In 29 BC, the city had the only provincial temple of the imperial cult in Asia in honor of Caesar Augustus. The temples of Zeus, Athena, Dionysius, Escalapius, or Escalapius, whichever we want to pronounce it, they were some of the um, many gods which help us understand why they dwell in Satan's throne here in the message. Escalapius, as you know, the god of medicine, worship in the form of a serpent. One famous title was the Escalapius Soter, or Savior. What a counterfeit, huh? The temples were um, close to the best things of hospitals, filled with serpents. Individuals would lay on the ground, and uh, some would be healed, they said. Others would die. Many of the coins in Pergamos bore the serpent's emblem. Many came to be healed, and one of the famous physicians named Galen was a native of Pergamos. Today, you find the serpent emblem again in the medical community. It doesn't come from Moses and the serpent in the wilderness, but from Escalapius. This is the church that married comfort, riches of the world, in order to be exalted trusting the arm of flesh, thereby becoming insensate to the things of God, becoming spiritually deaf and blind. And there are a lot of people like that today. I challenge you to examine who you are, where you fellowship, what is being taught, what is being compromised, both from your lifestyle and from the pulpit. This was the historical information about Pergamos. Now, having this background, we're going to better understand why it is that Jesus says the things that he says to this church. In verse 12, you have the proclamation. Notice the identity of the recipient of the letter, again, is the angel of Pergamos. Angel, again, the messenger, talking about the pastor, the minister, not an angel, literally. The context, again, determines that. And the word ecclesia, again, called out of the world, out of darkness, the marvelous light, 115 times appears in the New Testament, 
Uh, the people are the church of Jesus Christ, not buildings. And the name Pergamos, again, means height or elevation from the root word tower. So some have translated it fortress or citadel. Once again, thinking of that, you're thinking of being um, unpenetrable, unconquerable. You know, you're depending on your own might. Notice the identity of the writer, again, is Jesus Christ. The words are of Jesus Christ, not of John. These things says, it goes back from chapter 1, verse 16. The chain of command is God, the Son, the angel, then John, then us, in chapter 1, verse 1. The blessing is to those who read the revelation, all of it, chapter 1, verse 3. The message uh, is sent to all the churches in chapter 1, verse 11, not just the seven, but all the book. And the division, again, in chapter 1, verse 19, you cannot miss it, is divided into three divisions, the things that they saw, the glorified Christ in chapter 1, the things that are the church age, 2 and 3, the things hereafter, Manitelta, verse chapter 4, on to 19. 4 and 5, the church is raptured to heaven. Chapter 6, the tribulation begins. Chapter 19, Jesus returns with his church to set up the kingdom, the battle of Armageddon. It's a real easy division, and God gave it to us because he knew we would mess it up. The identity is once again fitting. Notice our Lord identifies himself to Pergamos as he who has a sharp two-edged sword. So it's very appropriate. The word of God is symbolized of many things. A Bible is the word of God, the bread, water, Milk, meat, and a sword. So many different things. And here the word for sword speaks of a weapon of large size. It describes the thrashing javelin or the kind of large sword accustomed to worn over the right shoulder. But for certain it was for judgment. Rome bore the right of the sword. Use gladi, the power of life and death. You didn't mess with Rome. The sword speaks of judgment for the worldly person in the church and the non-believer. The way to avert judgment is to be a doer of the word of God, not deceiving ourselves, James 1.22 says. Now, the simple teaching of Scripture is that once we are born again, we are to separate ourselves from the world. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 18. Come out from among them. I will be but my, your God, you'll be my children. Light and darkness don't have the same place of location. We used to be in darkness and God called us out. Doesn't mean you're better than anybody. Doesn't mean you're perfect. Doesn't mean you're sinless. It means you live differently. You know the difference because you've come to Christ. The word sanctification simply means to be put aside, to be separated. We get the word holy and saint from it. Jesus said in John 17, 15, Father, don't take them out of the world, but keep them from the evil. And we're always praying, Lord, take us out of this world. He says, Father, don't take them out of the world. <laughs> he wants to use you. He wants to use me. Jesus prays, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. John 17, 17. The word is what's going to set you apart. Okay, if you're not in the word of God, you're going to blend with the world. One of the greatest heartbreaks of my life at this point it's to see people who have walked with God for so many years and they've raised their children in the church and they've been a model and they've been like a lighthouse and all of a sudden the children now come of age and their children deviate the compromise of Christianity and the parents follow. You're to be a lighthouse to your children. Ever fixed. That if they're lost that they would always be able to look back at home and see that light. Paul declared that we're to present our body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is a reasonable service 
not fashioning ourselves as the world system, being transformed, metamorphosed by the renewing of our mind to prove what is a good, accepting the perfect will of God in Romans 12, 1 and 2. God help us. We're to be holy because he is holy, 1 Peter 1, 16 says. Paul says, for this is the will of God, even in sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessels in sanctification and honor, 1 Thessalonians 4, 4 through 5. This is the proclamation, the Pergamos. Notice, secondly, comes the commendation, verse 13. Jesus knew that they were doing what they were doing and what they had done in the past. Nothing new. The word know, again, intellectual knowledge, understand, to perceive, as in the first two churches. He knows everything. He's walking in the midst of the churches. The word works, again, refers to that which they were occupied in undertaking, what they were doing. And works are the outcome of salvation, not the process for salvation, as we saw in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, we're saved by grace through faith. Once we, when before the Lord, we don't use works to be saved. But once we're saved, then there has to be some works that relate to Christ, right? Simple. Now, Notice in verse 13, Jesus knew where they dwelt. The word dwell means to settle down or in dwelling to a fixed place. So now he's addressing those who are supposed to be his and were his at one time. Now they're fixed in the world system. Something's happened. The word is used of Christ dwelling in the heart of, of the believer by faith in Ephesians 3.17 and the Holy Spirit dwelling in us in James 4.5. Notice the dwelling of the Christians is temporary here. We're sojourners, we're pilgrims. We have a permanent abode with God beginning here, but it's a very temporal place here. I don't know if you've looked in the mirror, or last time you looked in the mirror. You're no spring chicken, some of you. Nor am I. Okay? You didn't get there instantly. It's a process, a very slow process, but the longer you're going down, the faster it seems it goes. Jesus knew the place they dwelt. Listen, it was Satan's throne. Look at verse 13. Underline that. Satan's throne. The period of church history, 313 to 600 AD. We already saw Satan's synagogue in Smyrna. 100 to 312. Now it's his throne. That's where he dwells, in the church. And we're going to see him more in the other churches. He has now established his throne, his stronghold in the midst of the church. Caesar worship was followed passionately. The city boasted of being the official temple sweeper of Caesar's temple. Rome had no problem. It was so vast. It needed some common bond to unite the kingdom. And what better than Caesar worship? Today the world is becoming united as one with the greenhouse and non-judgmental PC. We must understand a throne from the perspective of power and authority to act. Men love to control, to destroy, to tell you what you should do, what you can't do. That was the greatest thing about America, freedom, to live your life as you wanted to, but we're seeing a constraint coming down to a bottleneck more and more. Remember Constantine had joined the church and made her a state church, killing it. This was the worst thing that could ever happen or can happen to any church. Satan tried to destroy the church through persecution, but it grew. So Satan married the church to the world through enticement, defiling her, infecting her, and polluting her to lose her witness 
And this is what happens to you when you become worldly as a Christian. You lose your witness to everyone around you. You contradict, you destroy your own children and everyone you've told Christ about. You need to understand that. The high priest of Adelaide III in 133 B.C., when the kingdom was given to Rome, had this title. You ready for it? Chief Bridge Builder. What's some of the jargon across America's pulpits today? I'm a bridge builder. <laughs> it meant the one who spans the gap between mortals and Satan and his hosts. In Latin, the title was Pontifus Maximus, Constantine. As he declared himself head of the church and defender and protector of Christianity, he sat on the golden throne and bore the title of Vicar, which is the same title, Pontifus Maximus, the very same one that the Pope bears today, bridge builder. And his little hat is related to Dagon the fish god. Doesn't look like that when you're looking at it forwards. It looks just like some kind of like Arab window opening. But if he goes like that, it opens up like a fish god. All of that goes back to the Tower of Babel. Babylon. Satan transforms himself into an angel of light and his minister, 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen. I hope you're putting on the armor. I hope you're doing good battle. Now notice Jesus knew they were holding fast to his name and not denying his faith in the midst of persecution. So if he's talking to the few that are being faithful in the midst of this corrupt church, Okay. The name Jesus implies again the God-man, deity, humanity. You cannot say you're a Christian if you don't believe Jesus is literal God and literal man. It's impossible. They still had a faith in the doctrine of Christ, notice, referring to all that he is and all that he has revealed himself to be in his word. Listen, the word of God is objective truth, not subjective you're not at liberty to interpret any way you want the scriptures. They were not denying his name and faith in his name under the pressure of persecution. So that's why the commendation here. The name and faith go together. You can't separate them. What is believed about Jesus must be based on the scriptures, the revelation of God. Not tradition, not opinion, not subjective opinion. The Arian controversy was fought at the Council of Nicaea in 325 A.D., denied the deity of Jesus Christ, that he was God. They said he was created at one time. That's the, the false doctrine of Jehovah's Witness. Same thing. Now, here we begin to see the root of Roman Catholicism, a mixing of biblical truth with paganism, and Thyatira will be its full development under syncretism. Syncretism is this. You call yourself a Christian or a Christian church, and you allow all kinds of contrary teachings to the scriptures. You put them under and embrace them as tradition. They're okay, and you call them Christianity. I don't care what you call them. They're not Christianity. Antipas is an example, notice, of martyrdom under the system of Roman church here, as our Lord here identifies him as his own by the phrase, my faithful. His name is the diminutive of Antipater that means like the Father. Faithful are those who confess Jesus and do not deny the faith. For them, the sword of judgment dispels all fear. 
But to the one who denies the faith, the sword should instill fear. It is required that a steward be found faithful, 1 Corinthians 4.2. So this was the commendation, the Pergamos, for the few. Pastor Xavier Reese reminds us to be true to the Word no matter what anyone else is doing. And you can hear this message again, if you like, online anytime by selecting today's date under the radio tab at calvarychapelpasadena.com. But you can also request your own CD copy of today's encouraging study from the book of Revelation called The Worldly Church, Pergamos. It's available upon request for just $4. And this is one message you'll want to pass along to those you fellowship with. So the title to ask for once again is The Worldly Church, Pergamos. Or simply mention today's date when you write Simple Truths. 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for including the call letters of this station when you contact us. Scripture tells us God will never leave us or forsake us. But what happens when the church forsakes the Lord? Find out when you join Pastor Xavier Reese as he brings us more Simple Truths from the book of Revelation. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com